step into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the music city. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Hello and welcome to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Kenny, always taking care of us behind the glass. We love him. And, I lo- and he's wearing a nice, nice ball cap as well. Go blue. <laughs> <laughs> but how- Glenn, 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 Justin, you know, we, we keep it real here we on do. Penalty Box Radio. But the real thing right now is the Predators have a uh, two-game winning streak. I know, which is much better than a one-game winning streak. <laughs> it goes back to Major League. <laughs> you got a winning streak, boys. No, it's it's been interesting, and, and uh, this is the keeps in it real part. Mm-hmm. This, this is the kind of season it's going to be, folks, is you're going to have streaks. And that's what you want. That's what you can expect out of young players as well, that you're going to have games where they're just clicking so, so well, and they're going to have learning experience games. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, when you are a young team and you're putting young players in positions, which, thank God, they are putting young players in positions to be successful and to gain experience, it's going to be like this. But And you're going to see some really tremendous plays. You're going to have some veterans step up. And then it's, you're going to have a two- or three-game losing streak. I'm mm-hmm. not wishing ill. It's just that's how it happens when you're young. Yeah. Well, that's it's okay. Also, <laughs> and it's also the reality of it when you're switching lines up and you haven't found that consistency in that yet. There's not going to be an established chemistry. So as John Hines is switching things up, trying to figure out where everybody should land, it's going to be like that. You're going to have moments of pure brilliance that you're going to look at the team and say, oh, wow, you know, like game against San Jose. I mean, you're going to see promise. You're going to see, okay, this actually looks like the team that we hoped it would be. Um, But then you're also going to see games where it doesn't make sense to you. (laughs) Some of the the play is – that's just the nature of the beast, you know? Yeah, it absolutely is. And then in, in this game against the Sharks, I mean, you had Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, and then to seal it with an empty netter, you have Mikhail Glendlin get that empty netter. So you have three veterans mm-hmm. <laughs> pop some things in, and then you have your guys that you want, that you need. If this team is going to do anything of sniffing the playoffs, you have to have your guys like Matt Duchesne. Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, you know, gets another point mm-hmm. uh, and an assist and everything. Too. You, those those guys have to be excelling. Roman Yossi, he's doing his thing. I mean, he had another two point night, mm-hmm. <laughs> so typically he, does. Roman Yossi is going to be Roman Yossi. I'm not concerned about Roman Yossi right now. It's the rest of the team around him mm-hmm. and contributing. But when you have your veterans show up like this, yeah, you're going to have a competitive game and allows other guys to have some experience in in other facets. Uh, there's this great picture and. Good friend Kyle Perkins made a great meme out of it of Yakov Shredden just destroying a San Jose Shark. And behind him, you see Tanner Janot just with his biggest smile on his face. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you dare your friend to do it and he does. And you <laughs> sit back meme. and watch it like, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's hilarious, but that's what you want to see out of those guys that are, can be physical as well as being physical with being overall in control. And you didn't see much special teams play uh, in that game either, which was kind of unique. I mean, the one penalty against the Sharks was Nick Benino, which 
Do you remember Nick Benino being on the Sharks? I completely, it was one of those things where I'm like, Nick one of those Benino's ones that on you forget. Yeah, that you you easily forget oh, uh, yeah. that Nick Benino's on the Sharks that he signed there, and they did do it. They did a tribute video for him uh, and everything too with the Predators. But it, it was, it's one of those things when you have a weird season mm-hmm. like it was last year, you forget some of the moves. Oh yeah, that That's happened. Very easy to do. <laughs> It really it's very is. easy to do. <laughs> it really, really is. And then you're you reminded for- with a tribute video. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> or or I know the Predators tweeted out, it's like, oh, look who who, who came to visit at Morning Skate. Oh, it was Mickey Bone. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Now, uh, here's one thing. Uh, talking about positives, let's, let's speak on something that was curious to me. So it is overall a good thing that the Predators and hockey in general are getting more broadcast nationally. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... Go there in ESPN Plus. We're like, oh, that's another thing you've got to subscribe to. It's eight games that are exclusively in ESPN Plus or Hulu. And if you want one of the cheapest streaming options that there is, that's it. It's $7 a month if you just want ESPN Plus or $13 for the bundle with Hulu and Disney Plus. Or if you're a Verizon subscriber that has Verizon for your cell network with some plans, it comes with the whole bundle or sometimes a trial or whatnot. Anyways, the butchering of some names, and you know me. Mm-hmm. And how I am with names. It's and out of respect. It's out of respect. And and the th- I understand that mistakes can be made. And you don't see teams as often when you're a national broadcaster. But the thing that I say is you have a standard to withhold. If you're going to broadcast this game, and that is your job, you have a job to get names as close to correct as possible mm-hmm. by utilizing the resources you have at hand. I went to make sure before I put this tweet out there the NHL media site on the roster pages has audio files on how to pronounce player names. Mm. Audio fi- Like, you click it, and it says Eli Tolvanen. So they do the work for you. They do. All you have to do is listen a couple yeah. times. And what you do, because, and I say this because I have broadcasters that have worked with Penalty Box Radio calling high school games, junior games, doing the best they can when parents come up or coaches come up and say, hey, here's how you say the name. Small, minor corrections like that. And you write it phonetically. Mm-hmm. You make the correction. Mm-hmm. That's part of the job of being a broadcaster. So all it takes is one minor correction instead of saying Tolvanen. Mm. Yeah. Or Yuckov. Yeah. Trent instead of Yakov. It's it, professionalism. It's professionalism. <laughs> that, and I know there's so many things we could complain about, but that's a big deal to me because when you're putting players on, on big stages like this, they deserve to have their names said properly because Absolutely, it's do. easily accessible. It's not like it's a difficult thing to go and find. Of, oh, man, I have no idea how to say this. If Clueless, it's the draft yeah. and it's the sixth round... Yeah, you're probably you're not going to find much information. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, and you're you're drafting this kid out of Belarus or Russia. Mm-hmm. There's probably not going to be much on them unless they're playing in one of the leagues that is actually streaming. Yeah, but That's here you actually say that the NHL media has yeah, audio NHL. clips that yeah, tell you how to say it. Yeah, um, there's no excuse. Yeah, they, they have everything readily available there. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> Just try your best, people. Try your <laughs> Just best. Try your best, please. Put some effort in. Put, and, and they got to fix the camera situation. I was getting a little dizzy. I was getting a little dizzy because I did have to watch at home because I had some things where I could not be in the arena because mm-hmm. I had my own puck drop at 10 o'clock and it was a 7.30 Ooh. start. Uh, but the camera's getting a little too close <laughs> and moving a little too fast to I'm a little dizzy. I'm glad you say that it's not just me. No, it, 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 it's, it's, you could tell it's just different operators. It's, uh, yeah, exactly. Working with it. So just little minor things is the first one. But overall, I still like it being unnational. It's good to have that exposure for the sport. It helps grow the sport when you put it on here. It's just... Make some of those little corrections. Yes, please. It's a big stage. Please. 
It's a very, very big stage. Uh, but we do have a fantastic show coming up. I mean, National Predators prospect Chase McLean, who's with Penn State University, will be joining us immediately next. And what's great about this is not just that he's a Preds prospect, but he's actually playing here this weekend in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame game when Penn State takes on North Dakota Saturday night at Bridgestone Arena, and there's still tickets available for that. So you could go to the Islanders game with the Predators early in the afternoon, and you could stay downtown. You could go back home, you come back downtown, and you can watch some D1 college hockey at Bridgestone Arena with National Predators prospect playing in it. That's that's the cool thing. So we're going to have him next. And then we have uh, Greg Pricker, who is the radio color commentary for the New York Islanders. Really excited to have him on. He's excited. He's like, thank you so much. I, I'm so glad we have him on because there's so much to talk about. The Islanders are a true story because I think they're an underdog pick mm-hmm. for the Stanley yep. Cup final and for the Stanley Cup champion. Yeah. They truly are. It's been in the works for a couple of years. It has. They have so many good things going for them. So excited to have him on to talk about just starting on the road as long as they are as well. I know you want to talk to him about that. Just like Seattle started a few games on the road, the Islanders have a little bit longer of a start Mm -hmm. on the road. So all that will be up next. But first, we have Chase McLean of Penn State University, also a National Predators prospect, up next here in Penalty Box here to ESPN 1025, the game. That was my bad. And welcome back to Penalty Box, right here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Kenny, taking care of us behind the glass. And up next, let's talk with a National Predators prospect and someone that's going to be here this weekend here in Smashville. We have Preds prospect Chase McLean joining us now. Chase, thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, of course. So, first of all, just got to start off, the excitement, playing the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame game with Penn State. What are you looking forward to this weekend just in that game? Or is it just any other game? Or does it mean a little bit more knowing you're coming to your future home in, in Nashville? I mean, obviously, it's, I'm going to prepare like it's any other game, but um, I'm pretty excited for uh, a full barn, and um, I think it'll, that's what I'm most excited for, honestly, just to um, see our fans come and support us, and obviously, the North Dakota fans will be there, too, but I think it's going to be awesome. And Chase, I want to go back to the day of the draft when you were picked by the Nashville Predators. Just what was that overall experience like for you emotionally, and what excites you most about a future within this organization? I mean, honestly, I feel like it was like meant to be for me to go to Nashville. Just um, country music town. It just seems like it was kind of me, honestly. And um, emotionally, it was just it was an awesome experience, honestly. Um, I shed a few tears, and uh, I think the best feeling was calling my mom and dad, telling them because they really had no idea. And my mom was screaming on the phone, so it was pretty cool. And looking at your game now, Chase, obviously you're going to continue to develop and grow as a player, and also just as an individual. But what part of your game are you most proud of at this point, and what's something that you'll continue to focus on as you continue to develop your game into the player that you want to be? Um, I think I'm most proud of my um, defensive abilities, honestly. I think um, I'm a good 200-foot center, and I like to take pride in the D zone and doing little things right, like winning face-offs and stuff like that. And I think um, some things that I really need to focus on are um, – or keep working on really is just my touch around the net and being more offensive and seeing how I can chip in offensively. And again, Chase McLean, uh, round seven, 209th overall with the National Predators, currently at Penn State, joining us here on Penalty Box Radio. And Chase, if I remember correctly, uh, during the draft, you were in, you were at school. And so I remember your interview during the draft was taking place there on campus and everything. It was obviously a little surreal and a little weird having a draft take place in October. So I'm sure things are feeling a little more back to normal now. How is it feeling just on the college campus now that it's a little more of a normal fall compared to last year? 
Yeah, it's um, it's definitely changed a lot. Um, just having all the students back around. Um, last year, like they didn't have any of the freshmen on campus for from like Thanksgiving to February, so we were in the dorms by ourselves because it was my freshman year. And um, just having everybody back is pretty cool. It's cool to see this campus lively and um, up and running again. And uh, like especially on football weekends, and when you see like our rink when it's packed, it's, it's just so it's completely different. I can only imagine. And and now, too, the Penn State hockey program, I mean, really quick came about. I mean, got, you, the program got the funding for it, able to put so much work into this program, and it didn't take long for them to make a really good run and make it to the, the NCAA playoffs as well. What is it like to be a part of this program that has really stood on its own and is now putting out to really competitive hockey teams that is being talked about with the other programs like your Minnesotas, your Wisconsins, your Michigans, your North Dakotas? What's it like to be a part of that atmosphere now? Um, it's awesome, honestly. I mean, I think they knew when they were going D1 that they would definitely be able to put forth a program that was um, well-respected and well-rounded. I mean, our facilities are top-notch, so it's it's pretty, I wouldn't say easy to get recruits, but it's definitely like makes it a lot easier when you have great facilities, great coaching staff, and just um, guys that always talk it up, and especially past guys that come here, like the alumni come here every once in a while, and just um, they absolutely love their time here, so it's just, it's, it's hard to beat. I can only imagine. So let's let's take it back a little bit to junior because, I mean, we see a lot of college hockey players play American juniors first. And so, I mean, for a sophomore, you're still a little old for a sophomore, but it's because you played junior and you played with the Tri-City Storm. Uh, you even wore the C there. You're an ultra captain for a while, played threes there. How did the USHL help prepare you for, for college hockey? Um, I think my experience there was a little unique being that um, we had some really good teams there and just some of the guys there were um, – kind of guys that I looked up to and I was able to like they were able to be like role models to me a little bit like Shane Pinto and Rowdy Adder guys like that so just it it helped me a ton our coaching staff there was unbelievable too they were very detailed and reminded you every day that the details were like the small details are very important and not to be overlooked every day in practice is um, something you got to take serious in order to play right or play good in the games. And I'm sure that right there can be applied to what you're already learning, just being a part of a Predators development camp and, and coming to a camp to where you're able to be with other prospects in the system, listen from the coaches and learn from the coaches as well, too. What was that experience like for you to finally take part in a, in a development camp? That, that experience was awesome. At first, I was really nervous, honestly, going down there because it, it was something completely new. And, um, I mean, it's professional. It's the National League, so it's, it's something that's a little nerve-wracking at first, but um, I think once I settled in, it was awesome. Um, got to meet some new guys. Got experience with the coaching staff a little bit, um, the scouts, the general manager, and um, it, it was just awesome. I'm looking forward to go back next year, honestly. I, I can only imagine. And so was that your first experience in Nashville, or had you been to the city before? Uh, that was my first time there. Oh, boy. So what stood out to you most just about the city and the experience? And just because you were here for a week, so did anything stand out to you? Um. I think just like the people's pride and um, honestly how nice people are out down there. I feel like you can walk up to anybody on the street and they just have the biggest smile on their face. Just like Southern hospitality, honestly. Well, you are earning more and more fans the more We'd you talk, Chase. <laughs> yeah, absolutely are. So you're going to experience a little more of that as well this weekend too. And then going along with with development camp and everything, what's one thing you kind of took away from it? What's something that maybe the coaching staff or the the development coaches said to you that you really wanted to take to heart with you as you, as you went back to Penn State for the season? Um, I think there's a few things, honestly. 
one being like just my my soft skills around the net and just like um in the corners and stuff like all my wall work and like um how I pick up pucks off the wall and stuff like that and how to protect the puck better and um my skating needs to improve a little bit too and my feet need to get a little bit faster so um I take that take that into account and um just try to get better with it every day. Well, it sounds like you learned a lot as well. So one thing we do, especially when we have prospects on, is we love to ask some get-to-know-you questions. Uh, hopefully you prepped a little bit for that. Not sure if you, if you did or not, but we love to ask some get-to-know-you <laughs> questions, put you on the spot with some lightning around questions. going to hand it back to Glenn, and let's get to know Chase McLean a little bit better. All right, Chase, if someone made a movie of your life, who would play you? Um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Ooh, okay. Love it. Love it. That's I love how choice. quick you were to answer, too. Solid. That's great. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Um, more of a morning person. And what is your go-to karaoke song if you wind up in a karaoke bar? Um, oh, God. <laughs> oh, you stumped him. I know. <laughs> Probably something by Chris Young. Okay. Okay, I All love right. it. A song by Chris Young. All right, what is something that you always have to have in your pantry or your refrigerator? Peanut butter. Love mm, it. Love that. Have a spoonful. <laughs> what was your favorite sports team growing up? Uh, the Detroit Red Wings. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> and your favorite sports memory from your childhood? Um, probably winning a national championship when I was in played uh, U sixteen in Detroit. I love it. Um, your least favorite food? Um, probably Brussels sprouts. <laughs> you'll, you'll grow into them. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few places in Nashville we can point you to that yeah. might change your mind. What was the What was the last movie that you watched, and did you like it? Um, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yes, yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah, nice. dude, dude, yes, yes. And sticking on the line with the movies, your favorite movie of all time? Um, uh, probably Theory. It's with Brad Pitt. Okay. All right. This guy has taste. I know. Chase, you have taste, man. I like it. <laughs> what is an arena that you dream of playing in one day? Um, probably, probably LTA, just uh, Little Caesars Arena, just because it's like my hometown, and I still haven't been there yet. Oh man, and, yeah. yeah. It's be- I, I've I heard like, beautiful things about it. <laughs> I mean, obviously Bridgestone, but I'm going to get to play there. So. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, for those that don't know, I mean, Chase played for Beltire, Little Caesars, and Compuware. I mean, the the names that stand out when you think of junior hockey coming out of Southeast Michigan. So I'm sure you have plenty of memories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So my turn now. What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Um, probably Moose Tracks. Oh, yeah. That's mine. That is 100% <laughs> mine. Okay. All right. Uh, do you have a favorite superhero? Um, Spider-Man. All right, movie coming out in just about a month and a half. Getting really close yeah. to that one. <laughs> so, are you a Marvel person? Have you watched other Marvel movies? Um, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a Marvel man uh, guy. Honestly, just a Spidey guy. But, um, I just like Spider Man. Honestly, no, no, that's fair. Do you have a certain song right now or type of music to get you pumped for a game, or is whatever just playing in the locker room? Um, kind of just whatever playing in the locker room. But occasionally, I'll listen to I like Kid Rock and. Um, some Nickelback here and there, or um, something like that. I don't really like the new rap, honestly. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I love your honesty. This yeah. Is great. Well, I think this is like the, the, the kicker question, too, in terms it's a, it's a question for about pizza. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes, it does. 
All right. Thank you. All right. Yes, Chase. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Chase, we really appreciate it. We cannot wait to see you play on, on Saturday night here in Nashville in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame game. And thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care. Yep, have a good night. All right, folks, Chase McLean, National Predators prospect, seventh-round pick in 2020, currently with the Penn State uh, team coming to Nashville. You can get tickets for that. The U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, just go to the Bridgestone Arena website and you get that. Penn State, North Dakota, big-time college hockey action taking place at Bridgestone Arena this Saturday night. You, the Islanders are taking on the Predators earlier in the day. Stay downtown and watch some college hockey and see Predators prospect play. That's, that's the best way to do it. All right, up next... Greg Picker, he is the radio color commentator for the New York Islanders. Coming up next, from Penalty Boxer to ESPN 102.5 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Boxer here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. Producer Kenny taking care of us behind the glass. And up next, really excited to have our next guest on to talk about the New York Islanders. Boy, they are having a run of it before they even get to go home, but I'm sure a lot of excitement surrounding that. We have Greg Picker joining us now, the radio color commentator for the New York Islanders. Greg, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So, I mean, we were talking in our first segment just how the New York Islanders aren't getting enough respect. They, they really aren't in terms of when people talk about them being a favorite. And maybe they are up there, but I think nationally they aren't. Because for us, I think they're one of the, the, the dark horse candidates to win the Stanley Cup this season. I know it's really early, but what is the feeling like there in New York? Is there pressure? Is there stress? What's the feel around there about how this team could really truly make a run this year? You know what? This is the fourth year of the Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello era for Islanders hockey, and it really did have a different feeling going into this season than any of the previous three years. You go back to 2018-19, which was their first year, and I think most people making their predictions outside of the locker room pretty much, you look all over where people put their predictions at the beginning of the season, that was when John Tavares left, and they were pretty much picked dead last across the board, and they go on a run, finish second in the Metro, win the first-round playoff series, sweep the Pittsburgh Penguins, and going to year two, and uh, they had some goaltending changes with Robin Leonard going out, Simeon Varlamov coming in, and they didn't get the respect year number two. And what do they do? They go out and make the Eastern Conference final year number three. Still, same type of thing. Maybe the predictions had them fourth in the Metro. You know, probably a bubble playoff team. Not too many changes, but you had to send out a guy in Devon Taves to Colorado because the cap issues and whatnot. And, and again, they defy expectations. And maybe finally, finally people have earned, you can't bet against Barry Trotz coach team. who obviously you guys know very well from his time down in Nashville and they go out to the Stanley cup semifinals, losing game seven. They're the only team to have brought the lightning to a game seven in either of the past two years on their way to the back-to-back Stanley cup. So this year, like I said, it was a little bit of a different feeling because we actually did see a lot of, People predicting, and obviously ESPN's back in the fold with the national rights again, so they made a big deal about their predictions online and all the different reporters that they have, and probably maybe a quarter of them had the Islanders winning the Stanley Cup, and it's certainly just a little bit different, and then they come out, and unfortunately the first two games of the year did not go the right way against Carolina and Florida, and right away people are saying, "Uh uh-oh, did we put the card ahead of the horse here? But they've come back in the last four games, three-on-one run. We're six games through the franchise record-long 13-game road trip before UBS Arena opens up on November 20th. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a better feeling, but still a long way to go. And right now, if you're looking at the standings, you know, middle of the pack and 
in the Eastern Conference, but Metropolitan Division, you could probably say, is the toughest in the entire National Hockey League. So it's not going to be an easy fight the rest of the year. And Greg, I want to dig into this 13-game road trip starting the season that you mentioned. I mean, it's it's hard to get inside the minds of players on how this could affect them for better or for worse. But seeing the team six games in so far, do you feel like there's a certain energy of kicking off the season in this fashion that's kind of, I mean, not just for the players, but also for the excitement of the fan base? Like you mentioned, debuting at UBS Arena. Just what is the whole vibe, do you think, for the team along with the fan base starting the season off with 13 games away? Well, the good news is they're able to break it up into segments. So this six games so far, that was segment number one. That's done. The team came home. Red-eye flight from Las Vegas Sunday night. Had day off Monday, day off Tuesday, and they don't head back out until Friday. So a nice, you know, four or five-day stretch at home in their own bed. So it's not, you know, some people hear 13-game road trip. They say, oh, my goodness, they're going to be on the road for a full month straight. Thankfully, that's not the case. So you have a six-game segment, then just the one-off in Nashville, then a three-game segment, one-off in New Jersey, which is pretty much a home game. All you have to do is take a bus to get there, and then it'll finish off with two games in Florida. So it's not as daunting as it sounds, 13 games. So I think the way everybody looked at it, okay, let's get through the six games first. Hopefully we're on the winning side of things, and then we'll take the rest from there. And here they are a 3-2-1 and one record, they're above NHL 500, six games in, which is the toughest part of the trip, probably playing the best group of teams, at least when you look at the rosters to begin the season. Yes, they played a, a Vegas team the other night that's been depleted by injuries, so it's not necessarily the, the same Vegas team that a lot of people would predict to maybe be one of the two best teams in the entire Western Conference. But again, through these six games, take a breather and head back out for just a, a one-game trip on Saturday, but you know what? I still a lot of the questions are about UBS Arena opening up in just a few weeks because it has been such a long process to get an arena done. I mean, this goes back to the 90s when they were first trying to get an arena built for the team or renovated and had the experiment in Brooklyn at Barclays Center. didn't work out, and there's some guys like Josh Bailey who have been with his team since 2008, so he's seen it all from a failed referendum to build a new arena right next to the old Nassau Coliseum for the Brooklyn years, to back to the Coliseum for the renaissance over the past couple of seasons, and, and he'll be a guy that gets the step foot on November 20th at the new rink. And Greg, you mentioned the record thus far this season. We have to talk about Ilya Sorokin. He's notched five shutouts in his 27 NHL start. He posted the team's first back-to-back shutouts in the team's history. Incredibly impressive NHL start for this guy. What do you see in his game and style that you feel has contributed to his overall success thus far? Well, even before coming over to the NHL, he has played in huge games. I mean, he was one of, if not the best goalie, outside of the National Hockey League when he was playing with CSK Moscow in the Continental Hockey League in Russia. He won a Gagarin Cup, a league championship, playoff MVP, multiple-time All-Star, best goaltender of the year. So he's been in high-pressure situations. But I think when you're talking about him stylistically, he's very athletic but also calm. You never have to see him really making a desperation save, which sometimes those are the flashy highlight reel saves, but he never has those because he's almost always in position, and he can go side-to-side, post-to-post so quickly, and it's never a problem for him. He never gets caught out of position. So he just, you know, coming over, He yes, he was a rookie last year, but not your typical rookie that maybe is 
20 years old and is playing in big pressure moments in the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time. He's, he's been there, done that in the second best league in the world and just such a, an athlete. And he's been uh, really excelling. And, you know, the Islanders have one of the best goaltending teams in the NHL. Semen Varlamov looks like he'll be back. I don't know if he's going to play in Nashville, but he will likely be the backup if he's not on the ice. And that would be it for the first time all season. Again, Greg Picker joining us. He is the radio color commentator for the New York Islanders. And, Greg, I just got to ask, just because of how long you've been doing what you do, how much do you enjoy your job? Because it sounds like you absolutely love it. You're passionate about it. And it's always just cool to hear someone in, in this position, too. And especially you've witnessed historic moments already, too, uh, as a part of your job and so many things and trials and tribulations the Islanders have been through. They've been through the gamut in the past few years as well, too. So just how much do you enjoy your job? I mean, as much as anybody possibly can, but... I can compare it to my radio partner, Chris King, who he's been a fan since day one, 1972. So he was in his late teens, early 20s, in the early 80s when the Islanders won their Stanley Cups. So he got to experience the, the peak of it all. Then, yes, late 80s into most of the 90s and even a, a good chunk of the 2000s, there were some, some pretty down moments. I never got to experience the 80s success. You know, for the longest time, the highlight of my childhood fandom was a first-round playoff series loss in 2002 that went seven games against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And people still talk about that season because it was a renaissance year, making the playoffs for the first time in eight years. But the Islanders still never won a playoff round until 2016, which was actually my first year full-time radio color commentator. And now, outside of the dynasty, this is the second-best era of Islanders hockey, going to -to back-to-back Final Four appearances, essentially, with a conference final and then Stanley Cup semis. One playoff series in 2016, 2019, 2020, 2021. And, you know, just for myself and, and Chris, we're just two guys that grew up massive Islander fans and are lucky enough to be in the position that we're basically just an extension of the fan base in the radio booth. And people have been able to see us, especially during the, the Stanley Cup playoff runs over the last couple of years, because, hey, the, the local TV broadcasters, they're done after round number one. So there are a lot of people that want to hear – they're broadcasters. They don't necessarily want to hear the down-the-middle national broadcast. So we get plenty of people that come up to us and tell us during the playoffs, they put the game on TV, lower the volume, turn on the radio, and listen to us that way. And it's just a tremendous amount of pride when we hear that, and, and we really appreciate it. Oh, we, we know the same thing here in Nashville. People love hearing their Pete Weber because uh, he's been here since yeah. day one as well. They, they love to do that, especially deeper in the playoffs. It's been a bit since it's been deep in the playoffs here, but but they love hearing that. Uh, so so back to to the Islanders now, the product on the ice, in terms of helping to preview this game. I mean, third lines is what we discuss all the time, too. Or they can be the difference maker. Uh, third lines can be the ones that are difficult for matching up against, especially if you have ones that can put the puck in the net or are great defensively. And looking at just the line of uh, Zach Parise, Jay G. Peugeot and Oliver Wallstrom, what kind of difference do they make and what can people expect to see out of that third line that could make a difference in the game on Saturday? Well, I go back to when J.G. Peugeot was acquired in February of 2020, and it was a deadline deal. First seven games after the deadline, the Islanders actually didn't win a single game. Then COVID hit, the NHL went on pause, came back during the bubble, and he was the difference maker. If they didn't go out and acquire him, there is no way that they move on all the way to the Eastern Conference Final. And then last year, 2021, he ended up getting hurt. Although he did play, he was not the same player in the Tampa Bay series. And you just think, yes, every team has to go through injuries, and the Islanders were pretty fortunate that they didn't have a lot of major injuries. Uh, but Oliver Wallstrom was one. He 
was hurt in the Penguin series and never actually came back, although he may have probably been able to go towards the end if there was a need to get him in there. But anyway, with, with J.G. Pajot, I mean, he's a third-line center, and you look at all the centers of this team, Matt Barzell, Brock Nelson, J.G. Pajot, and then Casey Zizekas, you could call him the deepest team at center potentially in the National Hockey League, especially now that Yanni Gord has gone to the, from the Tampa Bay Lightning to the Seattle Kraken. So I think he starts at center, Oliver Wallstrom, he could be a first-line ringer one day. Right now, he's not, but he has absolutely the shot and release of one. And Zach Parisi, he's had a tremendous career. Obviously, led the Devils to Stanley Cup final back in 2012. Had a good run in Minnesota. It didn't end the way that he had hoped. And there are very few guys at, at his age that you can just see the, the spring in his game and the step in his game. It feels like he's a 22-year-old out there just creating havoc every shift when he's on the ice. Awesome. I, you know, we couldn't have previewed it better with anybody else. So I'm really looking forward to that game. It's And it's rare here in Nashville, too, to have an early afternoon game. So it's going to throw I, us off a I little bit. I understand there's a, a college game after, which uh, oh, I know yeah. my partner Chris King will be at. So he's uh, he's been talking about that for weeks now. He's looking forward to that one. <laughs> it's going to be like Penn State and North Dakota. That's going to be a pretty good matchup here in Nashville. But, but uh, Greg, we really appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, Greg Picker, he is the radio color commentator for the New York Islanders. Great information. You can tell how passionate he is about the team and just about hockey in general, and it is so awesome to hear that passion come out from guys that they love their job. That's why I had to ask that question because you can tell he loves his job. I know. You can hear it in his voice. He's got a fantastic (laughs) voice. fantastic voice. Oh, my gosh. I love it. All right, up next, serious matter. I know we're going to be completely changing air here, too, but... Let's discuss what's been going on in Chicago and that entire situation there. Uh, we have some things we need to get off our chest, so we're going to discuss that up next here on Penalty Boxer to ESPN 102.5 The Game. Welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Kenny, behind the glass taking care of us. Uh, before we get into discussing Chicago, we did have a question come in. We always want to make sure we take care of our listeners here. This one comes from Robert Martin. Last two games, turnaround or anomaly? Novak here to stay. I think Tommy Novak is earning his role at least to be on the big squad. He might not play every game, but he certainly is getting that that nod over a Rockwell Grimaldi. But uh, granted, he's playing center as well so that definitely helps right there but I do like seeing Novak staying in there because he is a young player he is earning his keep and he's getting a lot of experience because that's the kind of thing that he could be a solid third line center for the future and you're not paying him a lot of money <laughs> and he's building chemistry so that's what you want to continue to see out of young players is for them to stay up there like that too and multiple other young players are getting these opportunities I mean you're seeing Luke Cunnan who is still a young player even though he's been playing for a few years still a young player playing top line Minutes as well. Philip Tomasino, Ellie Tolvanen. Tolvanen, thank God, was not brutally hurt after that that hit. But you're seeing those guys come in and play. Now the next step is going to be on defense, seeing more youth. I mean, Dante Fabro is looking so much better. Seeing uh, Alexander Carrier, uh, who was on uh, Smashville Live last night. Uh, seeing those types of things uh, even more. And then when the next step comes in, what are you going to do with David Ference and Jeremy Davies, those types of young players. Uh, and then in terms of the turnaround or anomaly, I wouldn't see it's either. I mean, Glenn, we talked about it in the first segment. It's really neither. It's more of a you're going to see good things happen. Things are going to click really well. I wouldn't say it's a turnaround. A turnaround would you have to have some sort of really bad streak and then turn mm-hmm. around for a multiple game winning streak for it to be considered a turnaround. And don't call it an anomaly either because the young team is going to be streaky. Yeah. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't call it an, an anomaly because, I, like I said in the first segment, I do feel like 
we are getting to see a little bit of what we thought encompassed this entire team because after development after training camp we saw what was there so I don't think it's an anomaly for sure but I also think that like you said you're going to be seeing a lot of young players get experience and sometimes experience isn't always pretty right Right. so you're going to have ups and downs but that's the only way that you can build a foundation is to go through those ups and downs with with the younger players so all right well Folks, I'm sure you are all aware, if you're hockey fans, uh, of what's been going on with the Chicago Blackhawks and the situation there. And then Wednesday evening, uh, the the former player in the system uh, came forward, not John Doe anymore, Kyle Beach, ended up being the player that came forward uh, that was sexually assaulted um, by um, Aldrich in, in Chicago. And uh, we saw the press conference happen. We saw a turnover where Stan Bowman let go. We've seen now where Joel Quenville and Kevin Shadeoff is going to meet with the commissioner, with Gary Bettman as well. We'll get into that in a little bit here soon. But we wanted to address this because it is extremely important what is going on in the sports world and especially the hockey world in terms of hockey culture that we've discussed multiple times on this show. Uh, So it's going to get a little serious here. Because it needs to be a little serious. And, uh, you know, we love to have fun on the show, but we also have to address topics that are extremely important for the future of just our community, of being humans, of our sport, and the culture that surrounds our sport that we know has a good amount of troubling issues. Absolutely. Um, It's just, it is very difficult to talk about when you watch something like this play out in a league that you are a fan of, a supporter of. Um, and just also your fellow human beings. Like, it's so incredibly difficult to see the lack of protection that this organization gave to this player. I mean, it not only did they not protect him when he needed it the most, but they did basically everything but call him by name in the report and let that be released which I can only imagine evoked this trauma of having to relive this experience publicly. Um, I mean, I'm so proud of him for being able to get through an interview about it today. Uh, I don't know that I would have. Um, But if there was ever, ever a time for this league to have an opportunity to make clear on who they actually are, it is now. If they want to make it clear the values that they hold for their organization, the people in that organization, the players, their staff, it's past time for them to do that. And it's past time for Winnipeg, for Florida to take a stand. Maybe I've missed something. I haven't seen them say a word. And they've got each one of those teams has a member in their organization that were part of this. And so it's so incredibly difficult to watch it play out but this is this is the league's time this is their opportunity to actually make a stand I don't want to see an Instagram slide with a quote (laughs) I mean I do want to see it but that's not all I want to see because at this point it's past time it's past time and they've had a chance and they failed already so they have to make up for that And what is extremely infuriating, heartbreaking, disgusting, distasteful, 
unforgettable, so many other words, is to think of how this has been handled multiple times. First, with how they denied it. That it was outright denied. They did an internal investigation. The NHL denied that it happened. And you have a player who is now playing overseas in Germany, has had to live with this after he reported it. He reported the incident. So do not come out and say, well, he could have done more. He did what he was supposed to do, and he reported it, and it went to the top. And he says it went to the top. Number one, you believe survivors. What does he have to gain? He's trying to help others, and you have to go watch the interview from SportsCenter and TSN. It's 25 minutes long, and you have to make that something that you watch if you've not already, because that will tell you right there of how important this is. They failed him. Multiple people. Not one person, but multiple people failed a human being that should have been protecting him and having his best interest at hand. And not just him, but other people, too. A minor in Michigan. Because the same person went on to a different organization and sexually assaulted a minor in Michigan. Multiple people could have stopped this if they would have just listened. And you still have people making statements that are protecting others because of the good old boys club that is hockey right now. Stan Bowman. As I pull up my sleeves here. Stan Bowman. His statement, part of it said, 11 years ago while serving in my first year as general manager, I was made aware of potential inappropriate behavior by a then video coach involving a player. I promptly reported the matter to the then president and CEO who committed to handling the matter. I learned this year that the inappropriate behavior involved a serious allegation of sexual assault. I relied on the direction of my superior that he would take appropriate action. Looking back now, knowing he did not handle the matter promptly, I regret assuming he would do so. Are you kidding me? That's the stance you take? You're a Stanley Cup winning general manager and you don't take any ounce, any ounce of responsibility for what happened you're the general manager the power you have that could have made something happen multiple things you could have done and you let it how do you not know after 10 years you don't know you damn sure he knew then jeremy colleton the head coach said the stan i know that's not his values it's hard to separate the two Personally, I just think that you feel for him while also understanding that hockey culture, we got to make sure we're doing the right thing. I don't feel a damn thing for him. I don't feel a thing for any of them. I feel for the people that were hurt, that were violated, and that could not live normally and live their lives because of this incident that was allowed to happen without any sort of repercussions whatsoever for over a decade. Oilers coach Dave Tippett. I don't have much comment on it. I have some personal relationships there, so I don't want to comment too much about it. It was an unfortunate incident 11 years ago that I'm sure you'd go back and do things differently. You think? You think you do things differently, Dave Tippett? It's got to stop. This sense of protecting others because of hockey culture, because you know people, because of personal connections, has got to stop. I'm sick of this in hockey. You got to come out and you got to say it. You got to do it for protecting others, for what's right in the sport, what's right for humans, what's right in society. And that is not it. Jeremy Colleton, Stan Bowman, Dave Tippett. And you know damn well that Joel Quenville knew. You know. Kevin Chevaladev, he knew. He's assistant general manager. Joel Quenville was the coach. How often do they say that homophobic slurs would be said on the ice and in the locker room? 
every single one of them knew, and they did nothing. They did nothing to protect someone, and they could have. They easily could have stopped this to protect so many other people, but they chose not to. And you know why they chose? Because they wanted to win a Stanley Cup. They put winning a trophy above a human life. That was the value. That's the values. When they talk about values in an organization, that's what they valued more. They valued winning a championship over the value of another human being that was supposed to be treated like a member of their family. They didn't. The, one of the only people I've seen actually come out and say something of any substance is Alex DeBrinkett, who was a kid when all this happened. Hearing the story is pretty disturbing. That's never something you want to hear goes on. We cannot move on from it, but learn from it and come together as a team and make sure that it doesn't happen again. That's the statement you have to say because you have to stop it now. You cannot allow this to happen again. This is something that days from now, you cannot just brush aside and say, okay, well, that happened. Now let's move on from it. You know, you don't move on. You learn better from it because it's going to happen again if you don't stop it. This kind of stuff is going to happen again in hockey. It's going to happen in baseball. It's going to happen in football. It's going to happen in soccer. It's going to happen again in gymnastics, as we've already seen. It's going to keep happening unless you put a stop to it, people. Support survivors. Support. Believe them. People that are higher ups in organizations have got to know that it is their responsibility to protect the people in their organization. Not just to win, but a leader protects. A leader fights for what is right. A leader just doesn't go and win. That's how you become a leader. When you know better. And there are people on that team right now that you know knew. And they protected. They protected other people. Even though they knew it was wrong. Take them all out. Take them all down. Kyle Beach even said that Don Fair from the Players Association, he had to have known what happened. There was no support given. He had zero support. Luckily, Kyle Beach, is, he's playing hockey overseas. He has a girlfriend. Said his name's, her name's Bianca. He seems to be doing okay. But he's had to live with this for so long because people didn't believe him. How many people he told that didn't believe him, didn't want to listen to him, didn't want to try to make a difference until finally it comes out this many years later? And you have Joel Quenville allowed to be on the bench when all this happens? And uh, we'll have a conversation with him. BS! Get that out of here. He should be suspended. He should be done. Take them all down. Take them all down. Get them all the league. Ban them. They do not belong in the sport. They do, want, do not belong in the sport that I love, that I represent. They have nothing to do with this sport. This sport is supposed to be inclusive. That is not being inclusive. You want to fight for what's right and grow this sport? You fight for people that deserve to be fought for. That's how you grow the sport and make it better. How many people were part of this organization that are still in hockey right now? Way too many. Take them all out. Get his name off the cup. Get him off the cup. Take them all down. Scorched earth. Burn it. The Blackhawks don't deserve to be hosting anything in the near future whatsoever. That organization should not be rewarded. Yes, there's new people right there right now, but they've got to have repercussions as an organization. $2 million is a joke. An absolute joke. Uh, an organization that's worth over a billion dollars, $2 million is nothing. It is zilch. Repercussions got to happen. It's not being allowed to woefully go away and resign from their position. That is not enough. Make a stand. NHL, you got to make it happen. The PA, you got to make it happen. But the thing is, it's on you people too listening. If you want to see change in hockey and make it better for everyone involved and know that your son or daughter in this sport is going to be safe, hold people accountable. 
that are in positions that have responsibility. Hold them accountable to live by what they say when it's morals and principles of the game and respect and integrity. Make them live by that. It's not just speak. It's what you live by. That's how you make the sport better. I hope I got my point across. All right. That you did. Well said. Absolutely well said. Make a change, folks. Thanks so much to Chase McLean and Greg Picker for joining us. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. You missed any of it. PenaltyBoxRadio.com, wherever you get your podcasts as well. Uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, all there. As always, big thanks to producer Kenny for taking care of us. For Glenn Blackwell, this is Justin Bradford listening to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game.